take your Bible this morning, and uh, we're going to be in several places. First of all, you might be wondering why I have bread up here. I'm just really hungry, all right? Uh, no, take your Bible and uh, turn to Acts chapter 2, A-C-T-S chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be in part four of a teaching series called At the Table. And what we're doing is we're studying the different Jewish feasts found in the Old Testament and how it points to Christ. Now, you might be wondering why we're in a New Testament book. Well, it's going to make perfect sense in just a few moments because, honestly, last week, I told you before, I had COVID, had no idea. And um, until, obviously, I got sick and was like, my wife's like, you can't leave the room for like five days. Uh, because no, not because we're scared of it, because she didn't want to get sick. So, uh, you know, you think that when you get sick with something, you're going to be able to sit in your room and watch TV and enjoy it, and people are going to be waiting on you hand and foot. Guys, it was just miserable because there's only so much TV I can take. And so I started preparing this message. So what you're going to get this morning is a COVID-induced sermon. Are y'all with me on that? There is no telling where we're going to end up. I don't know what's happening with this. But as we deal with this this morning, we're going to be dealing, pardon me with my mic this morning, we're going to be dealing with the feast called Pentecost. Now, if you're familiar with church history, you've been going to church for five minutes, you're like, Pentecost is obviously a New Testament thing. It's something we celebrate 50 days after Easter every year, right? It's a Christian thing, but whether you know it or not, or believe it or not, when we dig into its roots, Pentecost finds itself its origin in Leviticus chapter 23 called the Festival of Weeks, W-E-E-K-S. I'm saying all this because I speak really good Southern. Here's the deal. Understanding all that is that they renamed it Pentecost because Pentecost means 50 days in the Greek language, and therefore that's what the Jewish people celebrated. So understand this. The Jewish people celebrated several festivals and feasts or what we call appointed times. The first one we dealt with is the appointed time called the Sabbath. Everybody knows what that is, right? That's what we call Sunday. But if you're Jewish, it's actually called Saturday. And they met every Saturday. They didn't work. They worshiped. They focused on a couple things, regathering together, renewing themselves spiritually, remembering what God had done, and also just resting. That's an important part of taking that time. Now, Here's what I've learned in the last two weeks, because I, I get the man flu. Any of you women know your, your husbands do that? We're just complete babies, right, guys, girls? Like, I mean, and I get that. I'm there, I'm, and I own it, all right? Now, here's the thing. Well, that being said, is that in the midst of all that, I always come out of being sick with just feeling like I'm empty. You know what I mean? Hadn't spent any time with the Lord, hadn't been to church, hadn't been with people, and I, I just feel empty. And I think most of us live our lives on, on, the, on the spiritual gasoline gauge between somewhere of a quarter of a tank and empty. Y'all with me on that? And so tomorrow we're producing a podcast for you guys about how to move beyond feeling empty. And part of that is learning how to rest scripturally. Is biblically taking that time to allowing God to pour into you. You can get the rest tomorrow morning at 8.30. But here's the deal. As we deal with this this morning, we dealt with the Sabbath, the appointed time, and then the Jewish people celebrated what they call the Passover feast. Y'all remember that, right? The Jewish people were enslaved in which country for what, hundreds of years? Anybody know? Egypt. There we go. They were there, and they said, Lord, save us. And then Moses came up and said, let my people what? Go. And then there were several plagues that came into the nation of Egypt in order to provoke the people of Egypt to let the Jewish people go. And what happened next is there was different plagues, but Pharaoh hardened his heart, and it wasn't going to happen. And finally, God said, look, I'm going to kill the firstborn of every family. 
unless you have the blood of a lamb over the doorpost of your home that firstborn is going to die if that blood is there the angel of death will what pass them over and so for years God told the people of Israel to celebrate what they call the Passover. We see Jesus in that because he becomes the Passover lamb. Is it when you accept Christ to come into your life, the angel of death passes you what? Over. You see, everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Then we dealt with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is actually seven days, and it starts off with the Passover, and, begin, and, and really in the middle of it, we have the first fruits. But the people of Israel had to leave Egypt in such haste to where the bread that they brought had no leaven in it or had no yeast. And when we read scripture, leaven and yeast is symbolizing the idea of sin. And it works in every part of our life. Y'all have had that happen to you, right? You've done something wrong, you don't deal with it, it continues to manifest until it grows and grows and grows and grows, right? Until you stop it. And they left that place with unleavened bread and God said, for seven days do not eat anything with yeast in it. In fact, get all the yeast out of your home. And even though we can't get rid of everything, we know that Christ, through the Passover lamb, deals with our sin, and we aren't held accountable for it when we know Jesus. Isn't that good? But then the third feast we dealt with two weeks ago is the Feast of first fruits, And it's the, first, the beginning of the harvest for the Israelite people. Remember, they're an agricultural society. Everything that they did on the calendar focused on when to sow, when to reap, when to eat. Make sense? And it was the first fruits, and so they had the very first sprouts of the barley harvests. They would cut them off, they would take them to the temple, and the priest would wave them before the Lord. That is the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the festival of first fruits, and the first fruits that we get to experience is the resurrection of Christ. Isn't that good? Now, 50 days later in Jewish culture, they celebrate Pentecost. And it's the same day that the church is born in Acts chapter 2. This is not a coincidence. And there's some powerful, powerful messages that we find throughout the entirety of Scripture here, going all the way back to Exodus chapter 19 and Acts chapter 2. But what we want to really hone in on is look at what the Old Testament says, look what happens in the New Testament, and how does that apply to us in 2022? Make sense? So that's where we're going. And it's going to be a lot of work this morning. So I'm going to encourage you to hang with me. We're going to have most of the passages of Scripture on the screen. And I'm going to ask you to engage in a copy of God's Word for yourself. Sound good to everybody? Now, I grew up on a farm like many of you know. And my uncle, for a short period of time, had a peach orchard. We're Georgia peaches, so it makes sense. Let's grow some peaches, right? And I'll never forget, it was only for several years he had it. Peaches are actually hard to grow, I think. Um, but when he picked the fruit, he decided that, hey, we're going to have what every good Georgia person should have. Are y'all ready for this? Homemade peach ice cream. Yeah, I heard that across the, the whole sanctuary went. Mm, y'all know what I'm... Now, if you've never had this, you've never actually lived, okay? And the thing is, when you get to heaven, there's going to be several things that you need to get used to. First of all, coffee will be there, all right? I believe that. Sweet tea will probably be a present. Agreed? And, and peach ice cream will definitely be there. And I think, you know, my dream is, like, there's this place in Fort Valley, Georgia. It's called Lane's Peach or something. I don't know what it's called, Lane's. And I would go there when we would visit uh, my in-laws on the way back from New Orleans when we lived there. And they had, like, one of those soft-serve ice cream things of homemade peach ice cream. And I believe that's what heaven is like. You just go, and, zzz, and I mean, you just let it go. Because here's what's beautiful. You're not going to gain any weight in heaven. Eat it all. You know what I mean? 
So every year, man, we would go, and my uncle would invite the whole family over, and he would say, hey, making peach ice cream, I'm making several gallons of it. We've got peach pie. We've got sweet tea. It's going to be good. And obviously, we had barbecue. And so during that time, we would uh, go over to his house, and the peaches weren't really necessarily any better than they were. Um, I'm gonna, Mike Ricks used my microphone last week, and it's not fitting right. He has a big head. So... Um, <laughs> So here's the deal. We'd go over to his house, and we would begin, begin to eat and all that stuff. And it's not that the peaches were any better than what you buy at the grocery store, but when you looked out the window, it seemed a little sweeter because that's where we got it. There was something about picking the fruit and making it yourself. Some of you have gardens, right? And there's something about picking a ripe tomato off the vine and eating it yourself. There's something about cutting up a cucumber. There's something about cooking some corn that you've grown yourself. There's something about that, isn't there? In the Jewish culture, Pentecost was about celebrating God's harvest agriculturally. They would bring in not just the barley, which was kind of like secondary type fruit or grain. They would bring in the wheat. They would bring it into the temple. They would bring it into the city, and they would feast, saying, look what God has provided. There was something sweet about that, isn't there? And what's interesting is when we go to Acts chapter 2, we see the disciples. Now, remember, Jesus has died and risen from the dead. And for the next 50 days, he sits with the disciples and he teaches them and performs miracles. And then he ascends into heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, they're all alone finally. Christ is ascended into heaven. And they're celebrating Pentecost. And they're like, what do we do? What's next? Now, in Leviticus chapter 23, we're going to show you this on the screen. They outline all these appointed times, all these feasts that the Jewish people were to perform and how they were to do it. In chapter 23, verse 15, let's throw that on the, on the, on the, on the screen there. It says, From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Basically, what he's saying is, after the festival of first fruits, the next day count seven weeks. It's about 50 days, right? Then it says, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh sabbath and then present the offering of new grain to the lord basically what he's saying is when you get to the promised land when you're standing before god in the throne 50 days later bring that grain that's been sown into the ground and sprouted up and now you have a harvest wave it before the lord and say now worship then he goes on to say from wherever you live bring two loaves made of two tenths of ephath of the finest flour baked with what now that's important because you would think if yeast signified sin, why would you bring two loaves of bread baked with yeast and present it before the Lord as a wave offering or first fruits? Does that make sense to you guys? You tracking with me a little bit? You see, they had the Passover feast, and they said, get rid of all the yeast. They had the feast of unleavened bread. They said, no yeast in the home. But yet, 50 days later, bring two loaves of bread baked with yeast and bring them before the throne and let the priest wave them before the Lord as a wave offering that's significant guys now we're going to get to the why in that but I want you to remember a couple of things during the feast of Pentecost there were scores and scores of people in Jerusalem there were three feasts in which the, a male Jewish person was required to at least take a journey to Jerusalem at once in his life. Passover, 
the Feast of Tabernacles, we'll deal with that next week, and Pentecost. And so when Christ died on the cross, Jerusalem had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of extra people in its population. Fifty days later, again, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And not only that, Jewish people from all over the world, as far as Ethiopia and to the extent of Europe, coming with different languages to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. This is an important time in Jewish culture. But I want you to understand the alignment with Scripture that God has for this, stating all what going all the way back to the Old Testament here in Acts chapter 2. So notice what happens here. In Acts chapter 2, get this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, remember, remember this, guys. These guys had just seen Jesus ascend into heaven. Remember, Christ died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He died on Passover. He rose from the dead on first fruits. And then for seven weeks, he spent the, with the disciples teaching them and performing miracles. The very next day after he ascended into heaven is the day of Pentecost, and they were all together in one place. Suddenly, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to teach in other tongues to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them now can i just say this is a hard text to understand what's going on here because you got to think, these guys are all sitting in there. They're grieving. Their leader has gone back to heaven. He's died and risen from the dead. They celebrated that. Now they're all alone. The next day, they're sitting there in the upper room or in this room, and they're waiting for God to do something. It's the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people who hate them are gathered in the city. And all of a sudden, violently, the place shook. A wind came through. And all of a sudden, what looked like the tongue, the organ tongue, hovered about them, and it was on fire. That's weird. Agreed? That's strange. What's going on? And then the tongue rested on them and disappeared. And it says they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does this mean here? Because there's a different ideas of what that means scripturally and even in Christianity today. We're going to get to that. And then, not only that, it says they began to speak in different languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them. This is bizarre but they're used to that right christ had walked on water christ was born of a virgin christ was crucified christ is alive this is just a day in the life of a disciple agreed but what's happening here is something very profound and there's a lot of truth that we begin to dig into but i want you to understand a couple things number one they were all together you go back to verse 1 it says they were all together now that's an important trait in the church because what we see here is the birth of the church they weren't separated into different groups they weren't in their own corners they weren't in their own, weren't in their own coffee shops this is where the body of Christ begins to be formed they were together another thing you need to understand here is this there was a rushing wind and it was loud and it was violent can you imagine I've been in the midst of a hurricane and tornadoes before where the actual walls began to shake some of you have been in earthquakes before and things began to shake understand that it felt like the room was going to fall in but then you have this idea of tongues of fire understand what's happening as the fire separated and rested on each person it represented the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has always been 
and forever will be. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible said, God said, let us create. There's a reason there's a plural there. Father, Son, and what, church? Holy Spirit. This is a primary doctrine. You have to believe this to be a Christian, okay? These all come together. They are one in the same, but they operate, operate in three ways. You got the Father, you got the Son, and you got the Holy Spirit that's God in you. And his job is to seal you, S-E-A-L, to show that you're a Christian, to give you stability, to give you security, to give you conviction, to give you guidance, and to lead the way. Now, the difference of what's happening in the New Testament than what happened in the Old Testament is this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was present, but he would come and go. So sometimes the Holy Spirit was with Saul, sometimes he was not. Sometimes the Holy Spirit was with Elijah, sometimes he was not. But here's the difference. When Christ died for your sin and you ask him to come into your life, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and permanently says you're mine. There's a permanence there. He doesn't come and go. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit means you're submissive to him. He's doing something. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit happens one time in your life. It's when you become a Christian. It says you are immersed or brought into the body of Christ through the act of Christ in the Holy Spirit. Make sense? This is a lot, right? I told you to hang with me and put your thinking caps on because we're going to think. So all of this is happening. And then they do something profound. They begin to speak in tongues. Now, this is where we're going to get really frustrated with each other for a few minutes, but you just have to bear with me. There's a lot of good teaching and a lot of bad teaching when it comes to tongues. You've heard this before, right? Now, I grew up in a rural Baptist context. Y'all, we didn't even clap or say amen in my church growing up, all right? If you stirred or moved, especially if you were a kid, you were drug out and beaten, all right? I mean, it was that kind of thing. So when I went to like a Pentecostal church and people started doing stuff, I like lost my mind. I was like, what is happening? Now, some of y'all had that experience before. Now, some of you grew up like that. That's just called Sunday for you. For me, it was called what is going on, you know, that kind of stuff. There is a biblical understanding of this. I want you to get it. Tongues are real. It's called glossolalia. It's called language. And when we see it in Scripture, we have a neat podcast on this, and I don't have a lot of time to go into it this morning, but when we see it in Scripture, it's signified three or four times in the book of Acts that God was going to save the Jews, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, and the John the Baptist disciples. That's, we don't have time to go into this. A lot of churches abuse this, but what we see is its primary function is to communicate God's truth with an interpreter or somebody else that understands. And what's happening specifically in the book of Acts here, this is important, is they began to speak in tongues, which is an audible language that people from different areas of the world, whether it be Ethiopia, whether it be Tarsus, whether it be France, whether it be Russia, could understand that language, and they express the gospel. Make sense to everybody? This is a big deal here, what's happening. God empowered them. They spoke. The church began to practice this as a means of evangelism and encouragement later on. Now, all that being said and done, after they proclaim this message here in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, then Simon Peter stood up in the midst of everybody in Jerusalem. They thought they were drunk. They preached the gospel. And it says 3,000 men came to know Jesus that day, and the church is born, right? That's a big deal, right? That's why you're here. But there's more to the story. Let's go to Exodus chapter 19. Now, why we're going to Exodus? This is important. 
get what's happening here. Exodus chapter 19, the people of Israel have been rescued from slavery. And they've been in the desert for about seven weeks. Does this make sense so far? So they had the Passover. They left slavery or they escaped Israel with their unleavened bread. And God told them one day you'll celebrate the first fruits. And about seven weeks in, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and God gives him the word or the law. Do you see how this is making sense now, right? So celebrate the harvest, Pentecost, on the same timeline as you celebrate God giving them the word. It's a big deal here. Now, get what happens. We're going to be in verse 16 and 20 and see what happens here. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Now, does this kind of sound familiar to you guys? In Acts chapter 2, they're sitting in the side this room, and all of a sudden, a violent wind came and shook the place. And, and then tongues of fire appeared. There's some similarities here. I'm not going to push it too far, but I want you to understand this is not coincidence. And get a little further. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, before this moment, the people of Israel had been 12 separate tribes. But God brought them all together at the foot of the mountain. You follow me on this? Before the disciples spoke the gospel in other people's languages, they were just different people from different areas of the world. But after they came to Jesus, they became the body of Christ. Make sense so far? Now get what happens next. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in what? Fire. The smoke billowed up from like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder, Moses spoke with a voice, spoke and the voice of God answered him. Now, all that, we're going, we don't have a lot of time to deal with this this morning. I got like 12 minutes left, but I want you to get what happens here. As Moses goes up the mountain, God gives him the Ten Commandments and the law of the Lord. Makes sense so far. There is symbolism here, and there is some things that we need to connect. It was violent. It was trembling there in Exodus chapter 19. It was violent, and there was a rushing wind there in Acts chapter 2. You with me on this? There was fire that represented God in Exodus chapter 19. There was fire, tongues of fire, that represented the Holy Spirit or God in Acts chapter 2. They were all brought together in Exodus chapter 19. They were all brought together in Acts chapter 2. Now, here's what happens next. Because Moses was on the mountain so long, the people of Israel came to Aaron, his brother, who was the priest, and said, make for us a God that we can worship. Y'all remember this. So he formed a golden calf. They came down and began to worship. Moses saw it. He threw the Ten Commandments down. It busted into pieces, and 3,000 men were killed that day. You see what happened there. Simon Peter and the disciples spoke the gospel in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 men responded to grace that day and came to know Jesus. What's the point here? The law brings death, but grace brings life. You see that? Why do you have the law? To show that you mess up and you're not perfect. Why do we have Jesus? It says he fulfills the law. 
so that you don't have to die. He became the Passover lamb. He conquered sin and death by taking out all the yeast from your life, and you don't have to deal with the consequence of that eternally. And then he rose from the dead, so you go to heaven. Isn't that good? And then to establish himself a body seven weeks later, he gives us the word of truth, which is the Holy Spirit in your life. This is some good stuff, is it not? God has done something powerfully important that we sometimes miss in Christianity because we can't seem see the forest for the trees. But what I want you to understand here is a couple things. And then we're going to get to your application and we're going to get out of here. Christ has fulfilled the law when we cannot. He's the only perfect person. Two, Christ made atonement for our sin by dying for us. That's why we are passed over. He became the blood of the Lamb. Christ takes the leaven out of our life, which is sin, and says you're not going to have to pay for that in eternity if you know Jesus. That's good news. And finally, Christ rose from the dead, and we talked about this two weeks ago, and because he rose from the dead, here's, here's, here's I love this phrase, because he rose from the dead, the things that you and I struggle with is not the final word on you. It's not your anxiety, your depression, your sickness, your frustrations, your broken marriage. That's not the final word for you because Christ is alive. Now, now you have the body of Christ coming together in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to remember something. When the priest in Le Leviticus chapter 23 was to come before the Lord, he was to bring two pieces of bread cooked with yeast and wave it before God. At the same time, after he would wave it before God, he would bring a slain lamb and he would wave it before God. Why? Church, you are the loaves of bread and I am too. And we've got issues, we're jacked up and we have sin. We just can't get rid of it. I'm addicted to it, aren't you? There are things, but here's the deal. Christ says, here they are. And then he raises himself up and says, here I am. I paid the price. That's Pentecost. Now, how do we take that deeper and apply it to 2022 where you are right now? Because here's the thing that I want you to get. There's so much in this text. We're going to be doing a study on the book of Acts later on next year. But I want you to get this today. You can come before Jesus no matter how messed up you are. Why? He recognizes you've got sin. But then he offers himself and says, let the Father see me, not you. That's good news, people. You don't have to straighten yourself up. You don't have to get everything right. Listen, like I said about this podcast, I've been running on empty for about a week and a half, spiritually speaking. But the blessing of being a believer is I can still come before the Lord. Isn't that good? You, you, you don't have to be perfect because Christ is. And this church doesn't expect you to be perfect. In fact, nobody who's perfect is allowed through that door. Welcome. <laughs> you fit right in, don't you? <laughs> Let me give you three things here that I think we can extract from this. Don't allow guilt to be your guide 
Sometimes we allow the guilt to guide us. Y'all, y'all been that way? And it either guides us away or it guides us toward Jesus. It feels like we've got to make penance. It feels like we're not worthy. It feels like we can't come to know him. And some of us have been so consumed with guilt that we've forgotten that that's not the final word for us. Don't allow guilt to be your guide. Don't let guilt focus you, but instead let the glory of God and his peace be the thing that you cling to. Two, don't cheapen grace by doing nothing, though. Because sometimes it's like, man, I love this grace thing. I'm just going to live like I want to live. No, if you really know Jesus, you're going to live like him or try to, period. There's going to be a desire there. There's going to be a motivation there. So don't cheapen grace by doing nothing. You've been saved by grace. You're maintained by grace. And you're motivated by grace. Y'all with me? That's important to understand. As soon as the disciples spread the gospel message in Acts chapter 2, What's interesting is the church was born. They baptized 3,000 men, not counting women and children then. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we have the first church. This is the only perfect church. Notice what they did there. As soon as they came to know Christ, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They radically changed, did they not? Not only that, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by by the apostles. They proved that they knew Christ personally and they were expressing God's word. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at many signs and wonders. And then in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. In verse 45, they even sold their property and possessions to give to anyone that had a need. And then finally, every day, every day in verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And then finally, they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. And the Lord, what? added to their number here's what's happening that is the only perfect church it goes downhill from there why because there's yeast in the body but praise god we stand behind the cross so understand this don't cheapen grace do something do something with your life Grow in your Christianity. Three, value the body of Christ. Value the body of Christ. This is your home, this is your family. Value the body of Christ. Pentecost symbolizes God placing his spirit in the people, forming the church, and therefore value the body of Christ. Just like in Exodus chapter 19, he brought all the tribes together and made them one. He brings all the tribes of the world together and one day is making us one and that's the beautiful picture of the gospel I had my uh, group my small group that I lead a couple guys and uh, we meet together every week and study God's word and things like that and uh, we had our first our, our last meeting this past week and what do we do what do you do for your last meeting before you take a break you go eat right that's what you do so all of us guys went together. We went to a real manly place. We went to a True Vine. Uh, we were the only table full of dudes in there. Uh, it was good, though. Um, as we're sitting in there eating and things like that, the question was asked, what's the Lord been doing in your life? And we went around the table and shared, and God's done some fascinating and awesome things. And eventually it led to what God is doing in this church. 
and one of the things to a T, and I've seen this happen all week long, I'm so proud of our church, is we've seen tragedy and things to celebrate even the last eight or nine days. Our church has stepped up and cared for each other. Now, are we perfect with it? No. Have you felt like you haven't been cared for before? Probably. But we're trying really hard because the body of Christ matters. We need each other. There's value in it. And whether you're celebrating or grieving, that's for the body, right? We're not perfect, but we're going to try. We're going to limp down this road together. Y'all with me? But you got to value, you got to get connected to it. Value the body of Christ in all that we do. So we walked through a lot this morning, and I was struggling about how to finish this message. I thought, man, I've got to come up with a great illustration. I've got to think through maybe a neat story from Pentecost 3,000 years, 2,000 years ago. I thought, what, what, what can I do, Lord? I, and, and obviously, I'm just going to blame it. You know, cool thing about COVID, you can blame everything on it. Everything, right? Everything. So I'm going to blame it on that. Um, I have no creativity, but this is what I have. This is your life right here. You're full of sin. You've got issues, and so do I, right? And God waves us. Christ waves us before the throne, and God says, unacceptable. But then what's beautiful is this. He waves this before the throne and said, I'll take that. You are hidden in Christ. Because he died on the cross, he took the punishment you deserve. And because he rose from the dead, you have life now. And so this morning, if you're here and you don't know who Jesus is, you've never asked him to come into your life, today's the day. Make that step of faith real. You can check it off on the box on your Connect card. You can text in the phrase, or I'm going to be over here to my left, and I'd love to pray with you. And if you're here today and you've allowed guilt to keep you from growing in your faith, to hold you back, let's begin to lay that down. You with me on that? You don't have to have guilt to be your guide. It's Jesus. Allow his grace to impact you in such a way. If you're here this morning, you need prayer, you need Jesus, I'll be off to my left. I'd love to talk to you guys. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for giving us hope. And I pray that in these moments as we worship, as we seek you, as we learn to grow in you, I pray, Father, that you would change us. That you build our life around you. You build our life around what you do. You build our life around the cross and the resurrection and the fact that we have absolute joy in you. Father, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for hope. Thank you for joy. And I God, I God, I pray that in these moments, you would work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.